We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning hello we're on to cincinnati you play to win the game it was all that dan marino's fault everyone knows that when it's too tough for them it's just right for us Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the AFC East Roundup Podcast. I'm your host, Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. Does it... Chris, is this the most unenthusiastic you've been to talk about the state of the AFC East? No. It always is. I have to do it with you. I just, I don't, I don't know. I don't, like, that game this week sucked the life right out of me. I mean, right here at the top of the show, we always open up with the standings. I I can't stand looking at this. The Patriots sitting at 9-4 and on top of the division, firmly cemented after a physical win in Buffalo. The Patriots are in the driver's seat for the division title. And while they can't execute a sweep, of the AFC East because they lost earlier this year to Miami. Um, they've got a solid look at, at what, five wins? I mean, the way they're playing right now, who's be, who, who do you think can beat them in our division? Us. <laughs> Let's hope you're right. Because we're sitting in second place at 7-5, and five, losing to the Patriots in embarrassing fashion. The Bills are not only on the cusp of missing the... Like, not only on the cusp of missing the postseason... But we're also on we're on a track to potentially be lapped by a team that everyone, their own fan base included, thought was dead in the water a month ago in the Miami Dolphins. The Dolphins are sitting in third place. They stayed hot, winning, a, winning their fifth consecutive game. 
and in doing so are just one game back of Buffalo for second place in the AFC East and are firmly in the hunt. If you look at the way they've been playing lately and the teams that are currently joining them in the hunt, Chris, you know, when you see the graphic on TV. I think everybody's in the hunt minus Jacksonville and Houston. That Well, those, those, they've already been mathematically eliminated, but no, you've got a point. I mean, everybody's in there, but who's hottest right now? It's not the Raiders. It's I don't not I don't trust anybody in the AFC. I don't know. I can't give you a definitive answer of who's coming out of the AFC. I'll tell you who's not. The New York Jets. <laughs> the New York Jets because they lost again. And here to talk to us all about the latest uh misadventure from the group in New Jersey, Mr. Scott Mason from Play Like a Jet. Sir, how's how's it going over there? Hey, Drew, before we get into the Jets game, I got to ask one question. Sure. I was looking at the Rock Pile Report timeline after the Patriots-Bills game and during the Patriots-Bills game, and you guys are a very passionate lot, much as we are, of course, with the Jets. And I got to ask, because I saw this seemed to be a common criticism. Are there people that were rooting for the Bills that actually thought it would have been a good idea to throw the ball more? I... Nobody knows. Nobody nobody knows what is and isn't a good idea anymore. I mean, we, we, we addressed that in our uh, recap show. I actually feel better that I did it. But uh, just, there's no good answers. <laughs> there really isn't. There wasn't because, a good answer for what you wanted to do in that game. Because far be it for me to give the Bills or the Patriots or anyone tips, but the one thing that I came away from that game thinking that the Bills really messed up on offense was I would have had way more design runs for Josh Allen. That's the only yeah. thing I would have done differently because you guys were sitting there. We were talking about it before we started recording. The, those wins, I mean, even for as strong an arm as Josh Allen has, he had trouble the whole game. The, the win was taking the ball. The, the play with Stephen Diggs in the end zone where it bounced off his hand because the wind took it. So, I don't know. I just thought that was interesting because you guys are just as passionate as we are. And I could see a lot of Jets fans doing the same thing, and then Luke uh, Grant and I being like, are you guys crazy? So I saw that, and I thought of Jets fans. I was like, why, why would you want to throw the ball more? Well, that's the level of manic we've become here, dude. We are now, like, we're, full, we're full-blown Jets and Dolphins fans at this point. We've actually replaced their fan base as being the manic ones this season. Remember Chris used to joke about how their fan base was eating itself alive? Yeah. It's our turn in the barrel now. But the turn in the barrel for the Jets just doesn't seem to be ending. Uh, you guys lost 33-18 to the yeah. Eagles. Um, first of all, I want to start my Q&A because it, it feels like every week we have some of the same talking points. And I kind of drummed up a new one after watching the recap of this game. And I just kind of want to okay. <laughs> I want to pick your brain about it. It's crazy to me that you guys have not been able to identify a kicker. This is a wild... Yeah. Now, yeah. now, before I... I I'm going to give you a response, but just so our listeners, I want them to understand this. They are The Jets are currently on their second kicker of the 2021 season. They had three kickers in 2020, which, I mean, at one point, they had a kickoff, kickoff specialist in this economy? What? They had, yeah. they had two kickers in 2019... One kicker in 2018 who made the Pro Bowl in Jason Myers and then left town. You guys haven't had the same kicker for back-to-back seasons since 2014-2015 with Nick Folk, and that second season he got cut for Randy Bullock. Uh, 
in the middle of the year. And to kind of put that in perspective, since 2010, the Bills have had just four kickers. Ryan Lindell, Carpenter, Hauschka, and Bass. I mean, they've got a couple guys in there because of injury replacement where it was like, oh, this guy got hurt and he actually can't play. But otherwise, it wasn't like we just fired a guy to try to replace him and get better. I mean, you've had more than that in just the last two seasons. How does a franchise struggle to find a good kicker? The best way I can put it is that they just haven't prioritized it at all. They've basically punted, no pun intended, on the whole thing for, as you said, since Nick Falk has been gone. Ironic, too, that he was the one that was kicking for the Patriots last night in the Monday night game. He's still going, and the Jets haven't really adequately replaced him since they got rid of him. I was screaming during the draft for the Jets to use one of their, they have like a thousand late round picks. I was screaming for them to use one of them on Jose Borregales, who was the nation's best kicker last year out of the University of Miami. Borregales ended up going undrafted, which to me was crazy, and then signed with Tampa. He ended up on Tampa's practice squad. And I remember at the time, people were impressed with Matt Amendola because he's got a big leg. But as you guys well know, distance is only part of the equation. So Amendola, who now has, has ended up getting cut, and then this guy, I can't imagine he lasts long. I think he might have even gotten cut already. I think the Jets signed that Panero guy. Uh, Panero, I call him Panero Brad because that's the value he brings. But anyway, I want to borrow Gallus, and I still do. But what I was told is, and I didn't know this, the Buccaneers have been protecting him every week, probably understanding that there's such a dearth of quality kickers in the league that if you have two of them, you don't want to let one, let him go because maybe in the, you know maybe they really like what they've seen out of Borregales and in the off season they cut suck up and and use Borregales but they really need to do something there because I, I don't understand the people else you can't wait to draft kick pick on a kicker they have all these holes it's like guys when you're talking about a sixth or seventh round pick you're talking about if you're lucky unless it's we're talking about like an Antonio Brown situation where you just hit the jackpot. Maybe you get a decent rotation piece. Maybe you get an okay special teamer. That's what you generally get in the sixth or seventh round. So if you can solve your kicker problem for a decade and not have to put us through this nonsense that we've been sitting through since, as you said, 2014, I, I don't see why you wouldn't do it. So I wish they'd have gotten Jose Borregales already. In the offseason, they're going to have to either get an actual respectable veteran or just draft a kicker out of college already because this is getting ridiculous. I mean, it, it really we drafted Bass in the sixth, sixth round and then fifth. fifth round. Fifth round. And then you guys also had one of our better kickers that we brought in for competition, Chase McLaughlin. But if you really do need a kicker, there is a guy out there that is unsigned, Justin Rohrwasser. <laughs> I want to look into that. I'm sure that'll go over real well. Hey, I'm sure that'll go over real well in the New York market. You know. You know, <laughs> but no, it was crazy watching uh, this kid miss two extra points and then never get another field goal attempt for the rest of the game. And I've, that's what made me think of it is I was like, how have they not figured this out yet? Because every year they have five different guys kicking for them and none of them are ever good enough. It it was just crazy to me. And I wanted to pick your brain I'll, about it. Yeah. The only, the only thing I'll say, Drew, is that uh, if this is a silver lining of sorts, the Jets haven't been good enough where it's mattered. Like, because who really cares? If your team is 3-13, and uh, you don't go, oh, man, this team would have been 4-12 and if only they had a kicker that nailed that field goal in the closing second. So 
that's the only thing that you can say. But yeah, it's embarrassing. They got to get this fixed right. No, and I mean, and it also hurts you from a perspective. I mean, you look at this. You guys hit zero second half points. <laughs> zero. And in the third quarter, you guys yeah. accomplished something that I've never heard of before. You had just 70 seconds of possession in the third quarter. Three offensive mm-hmm. plays for a total of three yards, which I feel like has to be an NFL record for the, the fewest yeah. yards in a single quarter. I, I'm sure something wonky happened back in the 70s when everybody just ran the ball. But even then, time of possession, that's crazy. That's out of control. But a lot of this, it, w- it wouldn't be such a problem if you had a kicker that you could rely on to get points and at least move things for you, at least give a threat. I, it's crazy. So the Jets lose this game. They don't score any points in the second half. Things are pretty dismal. I mean, you, Luke Grant, actually, I've watched some of his breakdowns. The, uh, the Elijah Moore route, where people were saying you see, there was a lot of debate over whether you know, the quarterback missed the read or whether the wide receiver ran the wrong route. They're both rookies. They're both figuring it out and they're both learning right. how to play with each other. Those are gu- those miscoms are right. going to happen, but both of them did the things you would want them to do in those moments. So it just kind of underscores that this really is just like a growing moment here. So I guess now yep. here's what I think as I look at this and I say, your playoff percentage is now currently below 1%, which tells me that the dreaded mathematical elimination week is coming soon. When I look at the teams that are already there, you've got the Jaguars, the Texans, and the Lions. And just one win separates the Jags and Texans from the Jets, and just two wins separates you guys from the Lions. When you look at the teams that accompany you guys in that group, how do you think your squad stacks up to theirs from a raw talent perspective? Uh, it's interesting. I think so much of this comes down to Dak Wilson. Uh, and, and look, they're going to have to fix that defense, which is really what failed them in this game because Dak Wilson played really well, especially in the first half. They scored touchdowns on each of their first three drives. Wilson was running that offense with surgical precision. As for as good as he looked in that Tennessee game, this was the most, I guess you would say, efficient performance where he was really he was moving the chains he was reading the defense he was taking what they gave him and and he was really making the most of what he had around him um the second half a big part of the problem where you know arguably the biggest part of the problem is what you just said the Jets didn't have the ball at all in the third quarter the Eagles basically continued to move the ball up and down they only scored nine points in the second half but it's all they needed if the Jets you know, weren't even getting the ball. Uh, you mentioned that Elijah Moore route. Yeah, Luke Grant has a video up on our YouTube channel breaking that down. Look, there are some people, as you said, that have blamed Wilson, some that have blamed Moore. Maybe it was a communication on both of them. Who really knows? Only they do. But what I will say is that Elijah Moore continued to play really, really well. Zach Wilson played one of his best games as a pro. Uh, Mike LaFleur, the offensive coordinator, who we had said early in the season looked kind of in over his head, really seems to have grown into the job in the last couple of weeks, which is a very encouraging thing. So if you look at the raw talent here, I think the Jaguars are sort of an interesting situation because you've got Trevor Lawrence and you've got some pretty good weapons around him in, in certain areas but they still need a lot of help. 
if you look at the Houston Texans, if we're keeping it real, they don't have much of anything on offense. Uh, they've got a placeholder in Tyrod Taylor. They've got Brandon Cooks, who they're probably going to trade in the offseason. They're in a complete rebuilding mode, and they don't have much of anything. So I think you could make a case that they have the worst roster of all these teams. The Lions are interesting. They need a ton of help, but they've been fighting. And, I mean, they won their first game, but we've all seen. I've Very rarely do you see a team that is, what are they now, 1-11 in 11 or something like that, that has come so close in so many of these games. They've been competitive in probably a majority of these games, but they just, for whatever reason, they can't hang on. So the Jets certainly have uh, their work cut out for them, but as we said, it all comes down to Wilson, because if he's good, Elijah Moore is getting better and better by the week. Uh, you have Michael Carter, who's hurt right now, but he's really showing you something. Elijah Barrett Tucker has been excellent. Uh, Makai Becton, when he comes back, that's another building block. Now the defense, the defensive line is good, but that's all that's good. The rest of the team is pretty weak. I mean, C.J. Mosley's good, right tall, solid. But they've really got to build up the linebacking core, the edge rush, and uh, and the corners for sure, and certainly the safeties because we don't even know what's going to happen with Marcus May. So I guess what I'm saying is they're pretty close to even, I guess, with the Jaguars. You know, both teams need a lot of work. The Lions certainly need a lot of work. And the Texans, I think, probably top to bottom have the worst situation so when you i'm because i'm just looking at this and i'm saying that the the play at this point the jets fan base is clearly looking to the draft where you guys have some of the highest picks in the draft right now and depending on how the seahawks fare that's obviously going to impact things i'm just looking to see what are the odds do you think that you guys end up i mean real quick before we let you go what do you think the odds are that you guys end up with because the Seahawks are playing some winning football now, they've got Russ healthy again. They could go on a short little win streak here. At least one pick inside the top three again. Do you think that that's a possibility given the four teams that you're in this? You, know, you being one of these four teams all in the mix for that? Sure. Although don't forget, you still have the Giants and the Bears right behind the Jets as well. So uh, that's certainly those are teams that could catch up to the Jets. And, that Bears pick goes to the Giants because of the Justin Fields trade. So the Giants could end up picking twice in the top five. Who knows? Uh, yeah, I think there's a decent chance. I, I think there's a very strong chance they pick in the top five. What, what I'm hoping for is, as you said, Seattle's got a lot of winnable games down the stretch. I'm hoping they win none of them, obviously. Uh, and, and if they do win any, I hope it's not a lot. I would love to see the Jets get two picks inside the top ten. But realistically, for as much as everybody wants to spend picks on the offensive line, and you can never go wrong doing that, what I've been saying to people is, look, if you look at what the Jets have right now, you've got Sheldon Rankins, uh, Quinton Williams, and John Franklin Myers up front. Excellent for an interior pass rush, right? Carl Lawson should be back next year. Now, if you go out and get an Aiden Hutchinson, or even better, a Kayvon Thibodeau, imagine what that could do for your defense, which has been horrendous this year. It's been terrible. That looks a lot like, on paper at least, what the San Francisco 49ers built on defense 
the year that they went to the Super Bowl and almost beat the Chiefs. Because you remember, they drafted Nick Bosa in the top five, went out and got D Ford. Now, do you want to compare D Ford to Carl Lawson? Because Lawson would be coming in for his first year uh, after being injured. They had this interior pass rush with Armstead and Buckner, Quentin Williams, John Franklin Myers. So that could be all of a sudden something that could vault you into playoff contention immediately if Zach Wilson is good. And then if you can use that other pick either to help Zach Wilson on the offensive line or even better, a shutdown corner, which Lord only knows they could desperately use, those could be uh, moves that combine with some free, clever free agent moves could get the Jets in, into a situation where they could legitimately be a playoff contender next year if they do it all right. And again, this all hangs on what Zach Wilson does. But I also think what hangs on what Zach Wilson does is where the Jets pick. Because Zach Wilson played well this past week, but the defense was so bad it didn't matter. If Wilson plays well the rest of these games, they've got some winnable ones on the, on the calendar, especially uh, at home against New Orleans and, and obviously against the Jacksonville Jaguars the day after Christmas. Those are two very winnable games. So if Wilson plays the way he did against the Eagles, certainly possible that they win those games and maybe knock themselves out of the top three to five picks. I'm not holding my breath because it's still the Jets, but it, it could happen. Either way, though, uh, Jets fans should be happy that they've got these two high picks to look forward to because even if the Seahawks go on a huge run and end up winning, let's say, three of their last, what are they, four and nine right now or four and eight, so if they, or whatever it is, they win three of their last five, that's still a team that's going to be picking around the top ten. And sadly, this is what Jets fans have had to look forward to for the last bunch of years. I wish they could be looking forward to something else. But, uh, yeah, I think, I think there's a good chance they have two picks in the top ten and a good chance one of those at least is inside the top five. Good stuff, Scott. As always, where can people find your work on uh, on the interwebs, and where can over at Play Like a Jet, and where can people find you on social? You can tell how well things are going for the Jets right now. That almost all of the questions you asked me about had nothing to do with the Jets' actual performance in the game. Yep, so, uh, that tells you exactly where the Jets are right now. Uh, we just talked about the draft. I've got a draft show up. We're trying to do more and more draft content each week. Charlie Campbell of WalterFootball.com joined me this week. We talked about what his intel is. And what's interesting is that he thinks that Kenny Pickett from Pittsburgh could end up being one of the top two picks in the draft, which would obviously be huge for the Jets because that would mean that it would push Kayvon Thibodeau and Aiden Hutchinson down a bit, potentially, and maybe the Jets could get one of those two guys. So he joined me to talk some draft. The Thunder from Down Under, Luke Grant, will join me to talk about the video that he made breaking down Zach Wilson's performance. We'll talk keys to the game as well. The very big deal, Chris Nimbley is going to be on to do some midweek news and notes, including the fact that Corey Davis, who was already having a pretty nightmarish first season with the Jets as a big free agent acquisition, now has his season cut short. Uh, they, they rushed him back with uh, a, a, a problem with his groin. That got even worse during the game, and now he's out for the rest of the year with that injury. He needs surgery, so we'll discuss that. Uh, Brian Bassett and his buddies do There's Always Next Year, where they 
kind of do a, a, I like to say it's almost a rock pile report version of Play Like a Jet. Uh, same kind of witty banter and, and lighthearted fun that, that you get on Rock Pile Report, but instead it's talking about the Jets. And then obviously we'll do the pregame report. Walter Cherapinski, WalterFootball.com will join me to talk about uh, the, his picks from around the league. The very big deal, Chris Nimbley will do the over-unders, the prop bets, the, the line, all that stuff. And we'll do the last-minute news and notes and injuries and all that. So all of that is at Play Like a Jet, which you can download seven days a week on Google, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, wherever you get your podcast. You can check out playlikeajet.com, the Play Like a Jet YouTube channel, a lot of great film breakdowns from Luke Grant, and, of course, the Play Like a Jet store at tpublic.com. We've got some cool shirts, hoodies, mugs, all that stuff right now. You can even get masks if you're complying with some sort of uh, indoor mask order or you just like to be extra safe, you can have a Play Like a Jet mask. It's there right now. Tpublic.com. That's T-E-E-Public.com. Boys, uh, glad that you're still around to talk about this after the ridiculous win. I would say that more tables were probably broken by the win at the game yesterday than Tommy Dreamer shattered going through them during the heyday of ECW. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And here to talk about their improbable race to the playoffs, we're talking about the Miami Dolphins with Mr. Elf Artiaga. How are you, sir? Uh, great. <laughs> I bet you are. I bet you are. The Miami Dolphins beat the Giants 20 to 9 and fifth consecutive win. Fifth consecutive win for a team that was supposed to be dead in the water. I. <laughs> So so look at this. You're just one win out of second place in the AFC East and firmly in the playoff hunt. Who'd have thought that that's where the Dolphins would be at this point in the season after the way your season started? Uh, Who would have thought it? Uh, Nobody. Uh, (laughs) Except those guys. Like, you hear them talk about it all week, and they're like, oh, yeah, we knew we were going to be here. We uh, we knew our defense was good enough, and we knew that that Tua, once he got – Back healthy, he was going to be fine. All this is is really pointing to is you know Jacoby Brissett was as big a disaster as we thought he was because 
the guy did go 0-5. I mean, you guys... 0-5. Did that. See, and that's damning. Because when you look at this, you guys have the inverse of Buffalo's season. Miami's getting hot in all the right places down the stretch. And Buffalo is just faltering and kind of making excuses for themselves along the way. It's it's crazy when you see it. Now, first of all, the offense came back to earth a little bit here in this game for a while. I was watching, you know, I was watching it with a friend of mine. I, we were his daughter's birthday party. Took the kid over. We were flipping back and forth between this and the Cincinnati game, and I'm just questioning myself: Why aren't they beating the Giants by more? Considering their quarterback is Mike Glennon. Now, Chris, before Elf answers, I want you to answer this for me or try to guess. How many teams has Mike Glennon, who I like to refer to as the uh, NFL's Napoleon Dynamite, that he, he was only a starter for one year, hasn't thrown more than 1,400 yards uh, since. How many teams has he started for in the NFL? I'm going to say eight. All right. Well, you, you went a little high. Is six. Six different NFL teams have allowed this guy to steal game checks from them, and the Giants are the latest on that list. Elf, knowing how bad he is, it was still a game going into the second half, wasn't it? Yeah, and it was it was odd as well, because they weren't scoring on our defense, but they were extending drives with improbable play after improbable play on third and 11 or third and 10. 39, but they weren't ending up in points. So we were happy about it, but our offense was always off the field until they finally got the ball last in the first half and two drove them down the field for a touchdown. But Mike Glennon actually played pretty well, all things considered. He didn't produce many points, but he had a very similar game to what Joe Flacco had a couple of weeks ago where he was efficient enough to keep it close and to keep their offense on the field and keep the game, extend the game, let's say, to the fourth quarter. I feel like you're being really generous here to our boy, uh, Mike Lennon. I, 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 you're saying he played really, really well. That's nice, I guess. I mean, what, they had three points, and then it was three to three, and then it was ten to three, and you're watching this play out, and I'm thinking to myself, He's he's the improbable drive extensions aside. Most of what he did was terrible. Uh, a lot of it, uh, and a lot of the things he doesn't do well—the holding onto the ball, the not being able to read a defense. I mean, Jalen Phillips got two more sacks. He's a man on fire right now for the Miami Dolphins. And in all, Mike Lennon was sacked three times. Phillips, would you say that his you know things finally clicking for him from a pass rush perspective? Is that kind of the Absolutely. catalyst that's been powering your defense or one of them? No, I think the catalyst for that's been powering the defense is the health of the two cornerbacks. Because ever since Xavier Howard and Byron Jones came back healthy, and it was really the, the Tampa Bay game for whatever reason, Brian Flores forced them to play in that game, and you could tell they were damn near crippled in that game. They got smoked by Brady unnecessarily. Okay, Then they sit out a game, and then they come back, and they're fine. So I think it's their health. But Jalen Phillips, oddly enough, all of this production is coming from his snap count getting slightly reduced, but him being put in a bunch of different positions to rush the passer. He's rushing the passer from three-tech inside. He's rushing from the left, from the right, from stand-up. And you know what he's not doing? He's not playing linebacker, and he's not dropping back into coverage. He's being asked to go after the quarterback, 
And lo and behold, the guy who was touted as the best pass rusher coming out in the draft is actually really good at pass rushing. Yeah, shocker, right? When you start using the guy. So do you – so now seeing that, do you think that – how? I guess I don't know how to word what I want to what I want to ask here. When you see the fact that this guy's finally doing it, he, they finally found a role for him. Is that something that you, as a fan and as somebody who covers the team, can look at and be objective and say, "All right, well, there's a learning curve with every player. You got to find their sweet spot." Or is this one of those things where you kind of wish Flores could have seen this earlier, considering he's supposed to be a defensive guy? Yeah, I would say so, except. For, for one thing, to start the season off, you look at Jalen Phillips, and I saw him in camp as well, 6'5", 270 pounds, but he's not your typical defensive end. Like, he looks like a basketball player out there. He's fast, sleek, really good athlete. So you look at him and you're like, you know what, we're going to use this guy everywhere. We're gonna, we're gonna, we might even have him guard tight ends if we could. So naturally they start the season off and they play him in Andrew Van Ginkle's role. And they play Andrew Van Ginkle as – a third down pass rusher. Oddly enough, Andrew Van Ginkle starts off the season and he's not very good and neither is Jalen Phillips. They reverse the roles. Van Ginkle goes back to linebacker, rushing occasionally, and now he's playing very well. Jalen Phillips is now exclusively a defensive end pass rusher and he's playing very well. So I guess simpler was better in this case. No, for sure. So... Let's talk about this hot streak you guys are on. I mean, it's it's mostly being powered by the defense, but your offense is rounding into form. I mean, your offense wasn't the biggest issue. And I think when everybody was piling on top of two over the last month and a half of football, you were one of the people who just kept saying, look, when he gets his opportunities, he's not throwing the game away. Yeah, he could make some better plays, but so could every quarterback. Look at Josh Allen on Monday Night Football. It's every doesn't talent level aside, every quarterback has games where you say, okay, he probably could have done more in this moment or more in this moment. Things could have been different. But he wasn't throwing away the game for you. And he obviously more than a game manager. And you get the defense, it's right. I mean, I guess I'm just I'm looking at this and I'm saying your defense is really the thing that's getting you here. How much does that look like what this team was last year? when you guys were on your run towards a playoff berth? Very, very similar, except that last year, uh, Tua Tungvalu was very much a game manager. And they were riding a conservative offense that actually had a better-than-average running game. This year, it's pretty much the same defense. Same defense taking away the ball, you know, stopping the run, being really, really good against the pass. But this time on offense, we have no running game whatsoever. And it's just the ball's being handed to Tua Tungvalu, and he's being asked, you know what? Bring us home. Be efficient in the fourth quarter, which he is. And my my partner on the podcast, Chris Kaufman, he's posted a bunch of stats. Uh, like the sample size is now 17 games, and two is damn near in the top three in every single category historically in the fourth quarter. So he's really, really efficient. And at the end of the day, really what you look at this team and you look at what Tua has done – He's completed, finally, a full-season sample size. And he has 23 touchdown passes, six touchdown runs, 11 picks, one fumble. Last I checked, that's 29 touchdowns to 12 turnovers. 3,700 yards, another 300 rushing. That's a good quarterback for a a rookie, essentially. So they're kind of riding 
Tua's hot hand, and the same defense from last year. But the offense is 180 degrees from mm. last year. No, I mean, it's you're watching this. So now all of this success, you, you heard it, Chris, as you know, pennant fever. Yeah. <laughs> the, the Miami Dolphins are on a major league-esque heater here. Hot, but you mentioned it at the top of your spot here. The 0-5 that you got out of Jacoby Brissett. Looking ahead at you guys trying to make the playoffs here, how do tie-breaking scenarios, because of those losses, look for the Dolphins right now because of that start? Well, there's two things. There's a, a back door for the Dolphins to get in that the Buffalo Bills slowly closed last night. Unfortunate. But uh, they could gain back if the Bills can win the division over the New England Patriots, and the Patriots have to lose one to the Bills and one to somebody else, okay? That's a backdoor. But the simple thing is that if you look at every single one of the, you know, the, those playoff machines, if the Dolphins win out, they are 86% likely to be in. The New York Times says 92%. So all of that is good news. So if they just went out, they're in. But the back door really relies on the Bills beating the New England Patriots for the division title. Do you think that they can stay this hot? Looking at the schedule and what's ahead of you guys coming out of your bye week here, that it's sustainable for them to continue this win streak they're on. I mean, you get the Jets, who at this point, you know, as we just talked about with Scott Mason, they're more playing for the – they're already talking about draft. They're, they're actually talking about wanting multiple picks in the top ten. When I heard him say that, I was like, okay, so your season's officially over, and you're all, it's tankathon over there in New Jersey. You got the Saints, who, I don't know, they're kind of a sad sack team. It all depends on where they are health wise, because they've, I feel like they're this year's 49ers, a team that still had some chops between them and the Ravens. Teams that had chops and were ready to go, and then just have been brutalized by injuries. The Titans, who kind of are in the same boat, and the New England Patriots, who are, again, one of the hottest teams in the NFL right now. Do you think that this hot streak can get you far enough that you at least have that sniff of it? Yes. And, I, I you know, they'll beat, you know, they'll beat the, the Jets next week. You got you to gotta love their chances against the, the Saints. Saints don't have an offense to speak of, and our defense is kind of hot especially on that fast track when we rely on, on speed and our defense, that's, that's going to be good for us. Then we have our, our, our old nemesis, Ryan Tannehill. Do you see this team, especially as constituted, and especially after Brian Flores, the first act he did was trade away Brian Tannehill, losing to Ryan Tannehill mm-hmm. in Tennessee? I don't know. They, they don't look like the same team to me without Derrick Henry. I like my chances there. And then when you come back, we're playing the Patriots. And I like this team against the Patriots. They've won three out of four against them. They beat them to start the season. Mac Jones is just, in my opinion, he's just not very good. No, he's okay. not. There's a reason he only threw the ball three times. Ah, oh, God, you're going to get me all fired up. You know, again. so I was just- we're going to be. So if we get there, and I have a lot of Dolphin fans that, that hit me up on OnlyFans and hit me up on my three yard, the three YPC Twitter account, and they ask me, how the hell do you think you're going to beat the Patriots in the, in the last game of the season to win out? And I'm telling them, buddy, if we make it there, we've won eight in a row, and we're playing at home to get the playoffs. 
yeah, we're kicking the crap out of a rookie quarterback. I don't care who it is. Okay. So, yeah, I feel really good about it. You know, it's health is all it's 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 all important because as always this team and, and we talked about this last year as well. You know, it might be a mile wide but it is an inch deep. Like an injury to Tua, you you know where it is. Mm-hmm. They don't have they don't have Tua Tungo Valo, they're going to lose because they can't muster any offense whatsoever without him. So, and the defense is completely powered by those two cornerbacks. You lose one of them and that's also a problem. So, yeah, as long as they have health, I, I like their chances to really make a run at this thing. So since we can't ask you about your team uh, against the spread this week, I'm instead going to ask you more of a philosophical question as we let you go here. You've been around the block. You've been a Miami Dolphins fan your entire life. You've been around the team for a long time. You've been doing this podcast. You've been in the podcast game for a long time. I want to know your thoughts on Tony Sperano and what it was like being a fan of the Miami Dolphins the year after Miami won the division in 08, missing the playoffs with a 7-9 record in 2009. What, what, what did that feel like as a fan? That year was kind of tough because you, they went out and they built, in my opinion, one of the better offensive lines in Dolphin history. They signed Jake Grove. They signed Justin Smiley. They moved Vernon Carey to right tackle. That was a great offensive line. They had Ricky and Ronnie, the best running game in the NFL at the time. If you remember, they played a Monday night football game against their nemesis, the Jets, at the time. It was a showdown game. Dolphins won that game. You felt like you were off and running. But it was right back to square one. Chad Henney was the quarterback. And the signs were there all along. He was just not very good. And every game they lost that year, you could almost point to a bad Henny mistake. And, you know, the defense was fine. Coaching was fine. It was conservative. It was, you know, it was ball control on offense for sure. But, you know, it was a disappointing time. That that season was one of the more disappointing seasons in Dolphin history. And easily. Did you guys go into that season? How much of your fan base assumed that there was this extrapolation of the success that you had previously had that was forthcoming? Like, you figured okay, we did the thing, we got to the wild card round, and we lost. We're going to build off that next year, and it just fell flat. Like, how many, how much of the fan base do you think genuinely believed that they could take a next step, and then it just didn't happen? Well, it was most of the, the fan base, and it's the way that they did it, right? It wasn't through gimmicks or anything else. It was a really good offensive line, a great running game with Ronnie and Ricky, and a good defense. With a good pass rush, good good secondary. So what did they do? They strengthened all those things in the offseason. But they were missing one major cog, and that was uh, Chad Pennington got injured in the in the preseason that year. And they turned it over to Chad Henney, and everybody just assumed, oh, you know, Chad Henney, he was going to be the guy, and he was going to be just fine. They had forgotten that the year before, Chad Pennington was an MVP candidate and had finished second in the MVP voting that season the year that they won the division. So I guess missing uh, MVP candidate quarterback made a difference, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> at, at least it was a difference between 11 wins and seven. So, or, or having a and quarterback that was it. That in was, offense. Uh, that was it for Chad Pennington's career. Yeah. Or, or, Alf, if you can see the through line I'm trying to weave here, or maybe like having a 
runner-up MVP candidate quarterback playing at that level with an offense that's operating at that level, and then all of a sudden that stops materializing and you're left with... <laughs> I'm, I'm not even going to say it. Elf, I, I love you for always jumping on these with us. I, we, we, we love you. Our listeners love you, as you can tell on Twitter. <laughs> Just tweeting at Nate Geary about yeah. you. It's, it really is one of the things that brings me joy is that our fans are just like we are. They're just petty people. Just looking to see. Yeah, Nate Geary is paying attention. The Dolphins are now ninth in total defense, so, you know. <laughs> Making their way slowly back to number one again. Oh, God. They Elf. finished sixth last year, so. Oh, and I, I have no doubt they're going to end up higher, given that the fact that you still have the Saints with probably Taysom Hill and the Jets on the docket. Yeah, you guys yeah. are probably going to climb that board. Elf, thank you as always. Where can people find you on Twitter, and what do you have coming up over at Three Yards Per Carry? I know you mentioned to me today that you guys, the show you recorded earlier this week, has uh, you guys talked about a little Josh Allen? Yeah, absolutely. It was uh, the show we dropped uh, this afternoon. You could get it on uh, anywhere you get your podcast. It's the number three yards per carry. You can check out our Twitter account at the number three yards per carry. You want to follow me, Alf underscore Artiaga. And yes, Bills fans, in this latest episode, we do a segment at the end of the show on Josh Allen because, as I always say, Chris Kaufman, my partner on the podcast, is completely responsible for Josh Allen. And as he likes to claim as well, he is also responsible for Patrick Mahomes. So he gets all the good and all the and I get all the bad, essentially, because <laughs> I didn't have those guys coming out. And that brings us to the Buffalo Bills, who lost to the Patriots 14-10, to and in the process really set themselves back in terms of winning an AFC title for back-to-back years. Chris, remember when we talked about parity in the NFL being at an all-time high last week? Yeah. That's quite literally the Buffalo Bills' only saving grace when you look at the division in the AFC. A second consecutive AFC's title seems kind of like a pipe dream at this point. And at the rate the Bills are finding ways to lose, I just feel like you're not... Can can even the most optimistic fan admit that somehow catching New England is probably not in the cards, correct? Not unless New England falls off. And this is something we were just talking about before we started recording. It goes back to the podcast we recorded after the bye week with Ryan Lasel from Rock Sports Network. Um where we talked about what a rock-paper-scissors matchup the AFC was really going to be. And it still is. Seeding didn't matter as much as matchup type. And, I mean, you you hit the nail on the head. You know, you said it. And I, I, I do think, though, that there was a thought that came to me after the game the other night as I was stuffing barbecue beans with sausage into my face at 2 o'clock in the morning on the couch. I've seen this before. I've seen this movie before that we're living. In, follow me here, Chris. In 2008, the Patriots lose their plan A at quarterback when Tom Brady goes down the very first game of the season, Bernard Pollard, with the dirtiest hit I think I've seen in a long time. To this day, he maintains his innocence, but you watch Bernard Pollard. Bernard Pollard, he's going to the ground. It's not dirty if you hate Brady. And then he extends his elbow and his forearm and delivers a, like, he's going to the ground, but instead of falling, he puts one hand down, braces himself, drives his leg so he can get an extra lunge, 
and then forearm shivers Tom Brady in the kneecap. And while Matt Castle was an okay replacement, the team finished second in the AFC for the first time in five years, losing out to the Miami Dolphins and the Tony Sperano-led Wildcat offense. Chris has the play right up now. He's playing it in front of me. Lunge. He's already on the ground, Chris. Tell me. T- rewind the tape. Well, and it'll it'll do a replay of it, folks. But. This is the beauty of the new studio. This is the beauty. So now, Chris and I have a what forty six inch? I think this is forty three. Forty three inch monitor in front of us, where we are now watching Tom Brady writhe in pain as he takes a shot to the knee, and you watch the slow motion replay, Chris. Please find it. Well, you watch him step into his throw. So Bernard Pollard is already on the ground. He's already being tackled, and then he lunges elbow and forearm first. It's one of the dirtiest hits I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I broke a coffee table. I jumped on top of it. I was so excited. Yeah. It's a dirty hit. It's filthy. Well, what are you going to do? Brady was stepping into his throw. So this is the thing. Matt Castle, he's an okay replacement. But they can't maintain. They can't hold serve. And they lose the division for the first time since Brady took over as a starter. And they lose it to a team running this offense that no one had seen them run before. And it was great. Every team was trying to copy it. You remember? We had, what what was his name? Brad, uh, oh my God, Brad Smith, was it? He was like a wide receiver slash quarterback slash wildcat quarterback. Every team all of a sudden had a wildcat package. And it... (laughs) Everybody tried copying it, and the concept itself was unique enough and comprised enough unique talents that it dominated for large portions of the 2008 season for the Miami Dolphins because of the way that they are built, that they, that they were built. Their 10-win turnaround from the previous season under Cam Cameron, going 1-15 to winning 10 games and what, 11 games and winning the division was the biggest, uh, tied for the biggest turnaround in NFL history. And their coach finished as runner-up for head coach of the year. The following year, every defensive coordinator went to work picking apart the Wildcat and the offense that the Dolphins were running as a whole. And while Ricky Williams in 2009 put up over 1,000 yards and double-digit touchdowns, and Ronnie Brown was still solid, illustrating that they still had some elite talent on the roster. They couldn't manufacture passing the same way. I mean, what, Chad Henney was their quarterback. Chad Henney, who somehow is still in the NFL. They couldn't throw the ball, and they failed to achieve what they thought would be a next step. And eventually, they backslid. Everything decayed, and they fell back in disarray. I mean, Tony Sperano got a contract extension at the end of that season. He gets a two, or what, a season or two later, he gets a two-year deal. And by the end of that season where he signed the contract, he was fired. And that, that was just the end of the regime that broke the AFC's title drought. Now, I don't see Sean McDermott getting fired, but there are some parallels that I'm seeing here, Chris, that I don't like between what they were doing and what the Bills are doing. You, you wanting McDermott fired? Yeah. No, I'm saying. You were DMing somebody calling him NFL's Coach O and Gene Chizik. No, I said he's one of those guys who he, he could he be the guy who really, really does well, right? He does really well. But if you can't maintain it, what's that worth? If it all backslides and your team falls apart, then what's the value of that coach? 
So if you have one bad season, you should be fired. No, and I'm not saying that. See, you're being hyperbolic, and that's the difference between you. I don't even know if you know how to spell that word, but I'm going to throw it at you anyway. H-Y-E-R. <laughs> H-Y-P-E-R-B-O-L-I-C. You're, 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 I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you because you on the second approach, it's like the Olympics. You get a second shot at it. I never did well in spelling bees. The Bills are in year two of a unique, I mean, at least in the eyes of defensive coordinators, a unique attack predicated on Josh Allen's accuracy and ability to throw downfield, but the threat that he presents with his legs. Last year, it caught people by surprise, and by December, we were humming like a well-oiled machine. And behind it, we powered our way past the Patriots and Dolphins to win the AFC East for the first time in decades. But surprises don't stay that way for long. Innovation is key, or stagnation's imminent. And the Patriots had an entire offseason to more successfully prepare for being without Tom Brady than they did going into 2020. Chris, they brought in Cam Newton and expected him to lead the charge. And I think there was an, like, I think they genuinely believed he could get back to being the passer that he was when he was effective. Now, the joke's on them. It turns out he wasn't. And that they kind of fell on their faces. And even then, they still won some football games, but they weren't. They were a shell of themselves. They made a mistake in the offseason, and it, the, things never came together for them. They couldn't change midseason. And it's exactly what happened to them back in 2008. You, know, you got a new signal caller. Your whole scheme was written around something that isn't working, and you're just going to have to play it down. So now I look at this, and I say to myself, okay, the Buffalo Bills. We're doing the same thing. A lot like the 2009 Dolphins, the stay at the top of the division is looking more and more like a flash in the pan every single week. Unfortunately, we've not only failed to adapt our approach and in the process have been manhandled by any team with a physical front seven that doesn't mind playing two high safeties and just like man's own switching concepts. There's no on-field adjustment that the Bills can make right now that would be a real fix for any of this and that's the damning thing here i mean sure you could fix the offensive line right you could go out even in the off season this is the worst part everyone's talking about oh wow and how do you just fix this and you fix that and if it were that easy the chargers would have already won a super bowl tom telesco has hit some really talented football teams out there in la or formerly san diego never won a super bowl there could never keep his quarterbacks upright, could never build an offensive line. Okay? So for you to sit here and say, hey, maybe Brandon Bean can make a bet, make an all-star offensive line. Apropos of what? What has he done that illustrates he could do that? I mean, if Ellen had more... Okay, but look at this. Even if Ellen had more time to throw, even with the best wide receiver talent in the conference, sometimes our players just aren't open enough to find a reasonably risk-averse throw. Because defensive coordinators figured out that we thrive on deep crosses and deep comebacks, and they took them away. And sure, you could go out and get a stud running back and build up the interior of the offensive line. That doesn't help you here in 2021. And I'd argue that the guy who... I don't know, Chris. I mean, one of the realities that should be setting in for Buffalo is that, well, the draft and free agency are obviously opportunities to fix the team. We've got sizable contracts still on the books and some real cash obligations that we've already made for ourselves that are going to need to be met here coming down the road. So now you're eyeing the draft. 
run by the same group of people that drafted the players who are largely responsible for our struggles in these very departments. Cody Ford, Zach Moss, Devin Singletary. The guys who drafted them are also the guys who you're hoping and praying are going to draft their way out of this situation. When in reality, I'd say some of this is their fault. They got us into it. The only real change I can see forthcoming is from the offensive coordinator himself. In terms of what concepts he chooses to work on and install and make available on game day to this quarterback and this group of wide receivers, Chris, they, they're, they're not putting up numbers lately. But who has a deeper well of talent to go to at the wide receiver position in the AFC than us? I can't think off the top of my head right now. I mean, the, the Chiefs wide receivers are kind of a shell of themselves. Tariq Hill's having some problems, but Byron Pringle, Michael Hardman, they're nothing to write home about. You might argue Tennessee, but they're not healthy. Yeah, but they're not healthy. Um, who? Who's the team? And yet, every week we go into these football games and nothing materializes because the scheme has gotten stale. What about Cleveland? I but Baker's not good enough. Well, and they were, they, in order to win, Cleveland's got to rely more on their run game. Well, they no longer have Odell Beckham Jr., so... Landry, Peoples-Jones. Okay. Uh, that's a Stephon Diggs and Emmanuel Sanders? I don't think so. Yeah, but they I'm saying they rely more on, sure. the, on the run. Yeah, I'm just saying. Because they don't want Baker throwing the ball more than but 30 so times a game. But my whole point here is that you have, this, you have these amazing weapons at your disposal, but it doesn't mean anything if the guy drawing up the plays is relying on stuff that everybody already knows is coming. It's... It's like when you watch an MMA fight and you see that there's like like when guys have fought each other a couple times, once, twice, three times. Those second like me thir- and Potter. <sighs> yeah, except th- whereas you and Potter has gotten old and stale because Potter just kicks your ass every single time the two of you get into it. He mauls you like a bear. Well, one time I didn't see it. I didn't know it was coming. You sh- you literally walked in and went, "Hey, what's up, fatty?" <laughs> And then you turned your back on him as if you didn't think he wasn't going to rear naked choke you. Well, that was later in the in the evening behind the bar on Poinciana. <laughs> God, I missed that basement. whole lot of scrapping went on down there. Uh, but no, so this is it. I mean, the, those it gets more interesting because you're watching, okay, this fighter figured out that this guy does this well. So now in the rematch, he's going to have a different approach. He's gonna, well, that's what defensive coordinators are doing to Brian Dable, and Brian Dable is just eating it right now. And I don't know. It's, it's a tall task when you consider that unlike last season's offense that peaked in December, this year's unit is trending in the exact opposite direction. They're actually shrinking in production. He's running out of time to prove that he's not just a one-trick pony in terms of play design, but also that this wasn't gimmicky, right? That we didn't get away with something no one saw coming, and now that they do, he has no pivot. Because if he doesn't, not only will it waste a window year for Buffalo, but it could also unravel whatever plans this franchise has laid for the next two to three seasons with our newly minted franchise quarterback, because there's not a ton of earth-shattering changes you're going to be able to make at this point to either your skill position group, your offensive line, or your running back tandem. I mean, that, that running backs are probably the easiest. You can add more talent there. You can find some young offensive linemen in the draft. I don't know that you can afford to go out in free agency and spend a bunch. I, I just don't know. And I, I guess that what I'm trying to say here is, in short, 
there's not a lot that we can change about this football team except for the guy calling the plays and who designs this scheme. So if you're out there listening, Brian Dable, don't make us the 2008 Dolphins. Don't make us the 20 or is it the 2018 or 2019 Minnesota Vikings who went to the NFC Championship game after, oddly enough, Stephon Diggs caught the uh, Minnesota Miracle and then got smashed by the Eagles in that championship game and they never recovered. They never made it back there. I think they have, what, one wild card appearance or one divisional round appearance? Maybe. With Kirk Cousins? Maybe, and they just lost to the Lions, so. Yeah. (laughs) Do you want to be that team? No. Well, then, Brian Dable, this gets parked at your doorstep. Now, next week against the spread, Bucks minus three. Chris, do you agree or disagree with that? I mean, yeah. I can see it being a coin toss because they don't have A-B, right? They don't have A-B. Are are they missing other... Who else is injured for Tampa? They've got some injuries to monitor. So that's why it's minus three. I mean, I would still go Tampa in this situation. As you are resident better. Yeah. How much money did you miss out on because of the Buffalo Bills this week? $390. I had a... I am in a pool where you pick every game for the week, and I had gotten three wrong, and there were five people remaining for Monday night. I had me and three others had the Bills, and I had the lowest total points for the tiebreaker. So all I needed was at that point in the game for the Bills to win because it was under 46, and then one other person took the Patriots, and they they won the, the pot. You just keep finding bad beats. It's hilarious to me. Well, I'm up betting this week, so or not this week, but the overall for the season. I'm look up. at that. I'm, I was, I think I was even last year, and this year I'm up like a hundred, hundred and fifty bucks. It's like watching a baby bird I'll, learn how to fly. I'll need you to make. I'll need you to make me a spreadsheet so I can keep track of betting next year. We'll start tracking all this. It'll be hilarious. And so that brings us, because the Buffalo Bills are not in first place, we can't be the final segment of the night. The New England Patriots, who beat the Bills 14-10, to and on the line with us is our favorite Patriots fan, Mr. Christian Simonelli. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm pretty good today, I can tell you that. <laughs> I can't imagine you are. I'm not going to lie. There was a part of me. Now, this is a callback to the Opie and Anthony show, if anybody remembers uh, that. I had talked to Chris a couple years ago about how we should do a bit where we get some guests on the show, and what we do is we he we get a drop for just the dial tone of a phone that's been hung up, and we bring in a guest, and we ask him a question. You know, like, hey, hey, this is Christian Simonelli here to talk to us about the New England Patriots, and I ask you a question, and then as you start start answering, we just cut you off and then just play the dial tone for 30 seconds. <laughs> I I laughed on my drive over here because I was like, I re- like if there was ever a day and a time for this, it would be now. Fans here are really raw. It's been a rough time to be a Buffalo Bills fan in the last 24 hours, 48 hours. What uh Things have to be looking pretty rosy over there on the other side of the fence, huh? Well, they sure are. Uh, you know, starting out two and four and then ripping off seven in a row says a lot about the coach. Says a lot about the team. Says a lot about the guys that he brought in in the off season and free agency in the draft. So, yeah, I mean, it. it you know, 
it, it certainly uh, turned on a dime, um, you know, these past two months, really. And last night was really just, it was really something. It was. I mean, sitting there, I was pulling my hair out because I wanted them to throw the ball more than three times because I just felt it was going to be that one play that was going to win the game. And it turned out to be a couple of plays that, that you know, really were the difference. You guys have a 99% probability to make the playoffs now. Uh, 74% to win the division. Did you think it was going to be this easy for the Patriots to reassume the mantle of control in the division when this season started? No, I had hopes that they would win eight or nine games, and I thought after last year, Buffalo would take that next step. I thought you guys, you know, signing a guy like uh, Manny Sanders and then another year of the defense, um, you know, under McDermott, I thought that you guys were going to, you know, be able to take that next step and really just, you know, just go and rip off 13, 14 wins. And um, you guys are a good team. You really are. The talent's there. It's It, it just baffles me, the, the uh, you know, the, the, the play calling sometimes. And I, and I know from Twitter that it baffles a lot of fans. So, um, you know, for us, we complain about McDaniels here, maybe doing a little bit, getting a little too cute sometimes with the screen game, this, that, and the other thing. But, He's taken the pieces that, that they went out in the off season and got them and slowly is integrating all of them. I just, I, I look at this and I look at the way the game unfolded between our teams this week and I'm just, I'm speechless. I don't know what to say. Uh, you guys, here's a question I have for you. Protecting your quarterback via game plan. What is this, the fact that, like, to your point, you even wanted to see more passes than just three. What is the game plan and the way McDaniels went about trying to execute all this? What does it do to all of this better than Brady nonsense that we've been hearing for the last month? This, oh my God, he's the greatest quarterback. He's so great that they didn't let him throw because it was winning. <laughs> like, what, they did the thing no team has ever done before. Yeah, short of, I think the, uh, I was going to say, I think the a team that maybe threw fewer passes was last year's Denver team that had no quarterbacks on the roster because of COVID. So they had to mm-hmm. they'd start a wide receiver at quarterback. I feel like this was the game plan they would have instituted, and yet at the same time, you're running it with this rookie who everybody's been talking up for the last month and a half as if he's the next coming of Jesus Christ himself. What is the game like this where your coaching staff makes a concerted effort to protect him? What does it do to that conversation? Does that get a little bit quieter? It raises some, yeah, it does. I mean, and it raises some eyebrows too. Like if they lost confidence in the kid, because he's, you know, over the past month, he steadily had less attempts per game. And this is a game plan oriented team, right? Bill always says, come in, you know, what's the, what's the thing I need to do to win the game? Do I have to throw it 50 times? Do I have to run it 50 times? Whatever it's going to be, I'm going to do it to win the game. And he's never been a, a guy where about getting, you know, uh, stats for guys or making sure that everybody gets included. If Mac has to throw three passes in a game to win the game, they'll do it. I'm real curious to see what the Indianapolis game is going to be like indoors in about two weeks. Um, you know, that looks to me like it'd be the perfect opportunity for that kid to go in there, throw the ball 30, 40 times, um, you know, and get that arm going again. So, yeah, I mean, it, had, it definitely did raise some eyebrows, but Bill's always been that way. I mean, in 2008 when we played you guys up there and they were showing a lot of those pitches of those games, uh, that game – uh, you know, on Twitter last night too, and on and on ESPN, Matt Castle only threw eight passes in that game. 
And, you know, the wind was just as bad. So, I mean, that's what Bill does. I mean, Bill, you know, that's part about, like, if you play fantasy, you can't have, like, any Patriot on the fantasy team because they could get 20 carries and run the ball one week and then be benched the next or get 10 catches one week and have no targets the next. It's just, that's what he does, man. It's, um, you know, so we'll see. We'll see what the next month is going to be. If, if this kid starts throwing 15, 20 passes a game and they cap him at that, then I think you'll have your answer. So now you guys are heading into the bye week, firmly in control of the AFC East. And is it is it fair to say that there's a lack of pressure on New England, given your schedule coming out of the bye? Uh, yeah, because I don't think anybody expected them to be the one seed at this point. In the, um, nobody expected them to be the one seed. People were hoping they would make the playoffs. Never mind, you know, be the one seed right now. Um Listen, a couple of weeks that can obviously all change, but no, this is all gravy. This is this is all gravy. The pressure's on the team, pressure's on you guys. Pressure's on the Chiefs, you know. Uh pressure's on 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 those teams, you know, to 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 play better over the next month. I just it's it's incredibly daunting. It's it's definitely something that I I just shake my head at because I don't I don't outrightly understand how we got here. And yet you're watching the deterioration of this football team to a level that from an offensive perspective anyway. I mean for let me get this. Here's something Bills fans have been yelling about all week. When you look at the job that the Bills defense did against your offense, do you think that that's an acceptable job given the circumstances? Um well no because you guys played nickel most of the night. Why on God's green earth would you have another defensive back on the field when the Patriots are bringing in an extra tackle and you know a six foot three wide receiver and putting him on the end of the line to crack linebackers? I didn't understand that. I didn't understand until the fourth quarter when finally you guys started blitzing Milano up the middle to stuff the runs. To, 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 to at least do something. All I saw, and if I was a Bills fan, this is how I'm looking at it from, from my sideline, if, if I'm a Bills fan, I'd be very frustrated and aggravated that every other play, Josh Allen is standing there with his hands up complaining to the refs, and McDermott's running up and down the sideline like an animal complaining to the refs. Focus on the game. Like the rest of the refs, the calls suck. Everybody gets a bad call every week. But it's like every time I saw the camera last night of McDermott, he was screaming at the refs. You, you, you do know, know that just I mean, hearing that some of our hard. listeners just had four basic offensive. I was going to say Go hearing that some of our listeners are just throwing things around their houses right now. Like listening to you, listening to a Patriots fan telling us to stop complaining about the refs. They're like, they're like they're furious right now listening to you, but you're not wrong because it shows a lack of composure and we lost it. And again, we got out coached. I mean, there's a reason McDermott's two and seven against Bill Belichick in his career now. It's and his two wins came last season. That's there's a reason for this is that he's a he's a damn good coach and he's unflappable. He comes in with a game plan. It's very well thought out, and he stays the course. And I feel like this team is still reeling, trying to figure out what it should be. I mean, the fact that AJ Klein probably was going to be the game plan, and then he got put on the COVID list right before the game. So now all of a sudden our base defense and fourth, you know, four, three over packages and stuff like that, that all goes out the window. You're forced to pull. And they said, well, we trust nickel. 
I don't. I think they thought that there was going to be some throwing, and it took them the whole game to figure out that they were never going to let Mac Jones pass that football. That's on them. It's it's just from a defensive standpoint, from an offensive standpoint. When you look at the game plans, they weren't good enough, and it's frustrating. And that had to be exciting from a Patriots standpoint to see that you guys still had it. That last year's you know lapses against, especially that brutal Monday Night Football game, that I'm I am positive Bill Belichick resents us for to this day. I'm positive that that was some of his motivation <laughs> because he's evil and he's like me. He's petty, he holds grudges. He came into that game and said, "We're going to impose our will on this team." And we just, again, once again, the better coach. That has to make you as a Patriots fan and the rest of your fan base feel more comfortable in the fact that maybe this one year where we didn't win it was more of an aberration than anything else. It does, because last year was clearly, uh, this is about Brady, Brady not being here. This year is clearly about Bill Bill rebuilding the team. And, and, and Bill, Bill loves, loves, the fact that he had a quarterback only throw three passes and win a football game. Loves that. Like that, if you know anything about Belichick and old school and special teams and, and history of the game and all that stuff, he loves this stuff. So yeah, it's definitely satisfying. Um, but you know, one of the greatest, Bill's greatest strength to me is always, um, simple. What do I need to do to win the game? Like I said, you know, just a little while ago, do I need to throw the ball 50 times? Do I need to run the ball 50 times? Whatever I need to do to win it, I'm going to do it. And that's what he did last night. And I, you know, it, again, back to you guys, like, it, you, you just, it needed, they needed, the adjustment needed to be quicker, I guess is what you could say, mm-hmm. you know, from your sideline. Like you said that you guys come in with a plan, a game plan, and you stick to it. That wasn't a game last night where you stick to the game plan. That was a game last night where you come, come, come off the field and you say, this isn't working. We got to do something else. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, what they needed to do. And, and so from, that's again one of the one of the Bills' greatest strengths is is, is adjusting you know the in game adjustments, um, you know. But listen, let's not fool ourselves. He's got the plays this year. He didn't have the plays last year. Yeah. You don't go out and spend that amount of money and draft the capital that you did. He's got plays to do that. By the way, he didn't forget how to coach last year. The team sucked. Quick, they didn't have the personnel this year. They have some guys that can play. It's it's frustrating to see. And it's going to be interesting to see how the, what this means for Buffalo and how this all shakes out. Now we got to go down to Tampa, play the the red hot Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Our playoff existence is in the balance, and it's just a weird place to be. It's a really strange place to be. Christian, you enjoy the bye week. Where can people follow you on social media? You can find me on Twitter at Chris with the T I N, and uh, like I said, give me a follow. I'll give you a follow back and. I always enjoy going back and forth with uh, members of the other teams, especially in a game like last night, seeing everybody's head exploded on the opposite side of the ball. It's quite entertaining. <laughs> Alf Artiaga, Scott Mason, and Christian Simonelli. They are the Los Broweques of covering the AFC East. Did you just make that up? No, that was in the 97. So when the NWO got big, the WWF was like, well, we got to do this. We got to get a faction. So then they had the Nation of Domination. They had uh, Los Brawicos and uh, DOA. Did did at least one of them have a luchador mask on? 
Uh, no, but one of I'm them, offended. One of them always wore a sweater. And by sweater, I mean back hair. <laughs> Count me into that club. <laughs> Jesus. Well, guys, this is it. I mean, this is what we're talking about here. This is what we're doing. The Buffalo Bills, second place in the AFC East. It's This division race is going to come down to the wire, but the pressure is on Buffalo to try to get back to winning football. And the pressure is going to be on Miami to sustain their hot streak and potentially make the playoffs. And the pressure is going to be on the Jets to prove that this season, that it can end with a silver lining. Because if not, I don't know how they don't go into the offseason where there's ter- per- personnel turnover, you know, potentially coaches shuffling, uh, as far as position group coaches, coordinators even. There's just a lot of pressure on everybody in the AFC East except for the New England Patriots. And I just, I really thought we were over that. I really thought those days were done, Chris. <sighs> it's amazing that you just buy into it after one game. For the Patriots. Mm. One game, it's over. They're back. They're going to win the next 20 in a row. No, but I'm more talking about the fact that they have a two-game lead in the division and what they've got a bye week coming up. So they don't have a whole... Like, there's not a whole lot of time for Buffalo to make up ground. That's why I'm saying it. I mean, it's... There's pressure. There's pressure on every team here, except for the Patriots. They just got to keep doing what they're doing. Buffalo's path to a deep playoff run now, I think, is angling themselves to... Get the best matchup they can. It's and then you want to you want to have like you want to have a path where like Kansas City, Tennessee, and New England all have to like play each other in the playoffs and give Buffalo the easiest path. That's what Buffalo should be angling now. Well, by easiest path you mean the team that's the least physical. Then I'd argue the Kansas City Chiefs are probably it. Yeah, they're fairies. I don't know if that's the uh, proper nomenclature if you're talking about people who uh, should probably be playing soccer instead of NFL football. But with that in mind, folks, thanks for stopping by the AFC's Roundup. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And we'll catch you next week.